Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Seppi. I am excited to welcome George Barnett, Iowa's offensive line coach, to the podcast this week. George, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Good to see you, John. Yes, good to see you too. So let's start off with, you've had a young position group in your room. How do you adjust as you're trying to help them develop when sometimes in say the case of like a Connor Colby or a Mason Richmond, they could be thrown into a position where they're going to be contributing earlier on than the average offensive lineman at a big 10 school. Yeah, I think, I think that that's a great question. I think there's a, um, there's a fine balance of, Hey, we got to get these kids ready to go and doing it the right way. Um, but not, not in the determinant of the team you got to keep, you got to keep things going and do it, do the best, best for the team as you can. So I think number one, as soon as you get these young kids, we knew, I knew early on, uh, we had a couple other vets that were a little bit hit and miss playing time, that kind of deal. So we knew that we were going to have to get some young guys ready, some first time starters and players ready. So you just go down the checklist of, Hey, number one, we got to teach them the base set of fundamentals and we got to perfect those those base fundamentals that they're going to rest on and rely on uh during a game when when their coach isn't over their shoulder and number two is you got to you got to teach them the base plays of the playbook and they got to know what job to do so like in mason's situation where he had a year under his belt he had a little bit of advantage over connor where connor had a spring which was good uh but he there was a little bit more for him. So it's, it's just a matter of getting the base fundamentals, getting the base playbook in, and then now it's, hey, how many reps can we get in practice of individual drills, teach them how to practice, teach them how to be consistent, to show up every day, to, be, uh, to, to, to give the effort the team needs on, on, on every down, which that's, that's, a, that's a big adjustment for uh, going from a three, two, to a one. And, um, and then it's, then it's get enough scrimmage time, you know, where you can let a kid go. And this is the, probably the biggest um, trick of them all, in my opinion, is, is allowing them to get out and play, but yet the coach isn't telling them what to do and correcting them every second of the day. So if they have a bad play, instead of me barking orders or telling them how to correct that, it's sit back, let them feel it and fix it and then come to the sideline, just like they have to do in a game. Because the first thing we want to do with these young kids, not coddle them, but we want to coach them every second of a practice. Well, part of playing on Saturdays that probably a lot of people don't understand sometimes is they're out there by themselves. There's no, there's no microphones. There's no coaches in the huddle like JFL. Like those guys got to feel it, fix it, and, and learn how to respond to a tough play. So – you have your individual drills, you have your team periods, and then you have your scrimmage periods where you let them go and then correct in the film room. And it's just that cycle of going back and forth of, of making a mistake, coming in the film room, correcting it, and then getting back out there, hopefully not making that mistake again, understanding there's probably going to be a new mistake for a young kid, get back in the film room the next day, and so on and so forth. That's where the patience comes in of – because if you get impatient with a young kid, he'll think that you've lost trust in him. If you just say, "Wow, well, you're screwing it up," or you got to be you got to be able to respond as a coach correctly to a young kid's failures, so he can become that veteran one day that's 
teaching the young kids how to go, but you also have to teach the player on how to respond um, to tough times. So development, obviously the key word, we're at the place that does it the best. So that that's a huge, huge advantage. We knew, I knew when I came in last year that we, we had some work to do and some development to do, but what a place to do it at. Is it tough when I'm sure your first instinct as a coach, when you see them make a mistake is you want to be able to jump in and correct it right away to like hold back and say, okay, I'm going to wait till we get into the film room because they aren't going to have this in the game situation. Yeah. And I think you got to balance that out. I think there's times where you do give um, immediate response, but I think there's also times where it's so great to see a kid, especially a young kid, go through a tough time on the field and just track how he responds. Look at his body language. Where's his shoulders? Where do his eyes go? What's his, you know, is he talking to a teammate? Is someone lifting him up? And those are all teachable moments that at the end of the day, if it's in the fourth quarter, last drive of the game and you got to have it, guess what? Those, that patience you had with that kid um, it, it may pay off for you. So it's, yeah, it's, it's hard, but you just, you've been doing it long enough. You know that, sometimes overdoing it can, can, can be harmful. And then when you get into the game situations, there are going to be times where you're going up against, say, like a Michigan that has two NFL quality edge rushers that can be tough for a young player, regardless of how well the last year, year and a half had gone. How much do you balance using that as a teaching moment while still keeping the confidence up and not dwelling on maybe some of the tougher results. Yeah, I think I think once you get in a game on the sideline, um, I think it's confidence is number one, and it's response. Um, it's play the next play. You you don't have time to. There's no I told you so's. There's no you need to do this. But you know there there's correct the mistakes, get a plan for correcting the mistake, and get moving on. And but that's the hardest thing for kids to do. You know. I don't know if you, you see it, but kids today are wired to be perfect, you know, with social media and personal trainers and everything that these kids have that wasn't around 10, 15 years ago, everything's based off per- perfection. And that's probably not a good thing. Um, so because at the end of the day, we're playing football, all right? We're playing offensive line in the Big Ten. I have never seen a kid play a perfect game. I never saw a kid play a perfect game at Mattoon High School in 1999. <laughs> so it, to me, what's most important is be able to respond to the imperfect play or the imperfect day, because how many games do you get into, especially as an offensive lineman, where you think, oh, my gosh, that's, that wasn't a good series, and you end up winning that game. But at the end of that game, you, go, you look back and you forget the bad times, right? You forget all the tough times. It's like having, you know, it's – so it's, it's always move on to the next play, keep our eyes straight ahead and focus, especially with the young kid. Now, as you get older, those guys know like, Hey, these are bumps. These are necessary bumps in the road of the game. Cause one team is going to react better than the other team. So the, the, the perfect, Oh, Hey, we got to go play the perfect game or we got to have the perfect this. That's probably not the best way to go at it, especially at that position. It's more of what is your response going to be? And in today's day and age, you have to teach that because it's being taught less because what these kids have been absorbing into their minds for the last few years of social media and, and expectations are higher, you know, uh, which is the internet and things like that. So they, they have this, they have this thought of, Hey, I have to be perfect. 
No, you have to respond to the imperfect. That's how you set yourself apart. So yeah, and it all falls into your, your question of how do you get and develop uh, young kids? And then how helpful is it to have this time where you can look back at the game film? Because probably for the average person going into their sophomore year, you don't have as much in-game things to look at as you do with somebody like Connor or Mason. Yeah, it's tremendous. And it's, 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 there's times to do it like during spring football together as an outfit. And then there's also times where a Connor or someone comes in individually and just and takes a deep breath and just watch, you know, clicks the lights off and just watches. And they just, you know, just different modes of learning for different kids at different times. And it's, you know, to be able to get out of the fire and take a deep breath and realize it wasn't that hard is such a valuable tool moving forward. And I think that's what these kids that have just played there, we, you know, we've got a, quite a few number of, uh, quite a number of kids that have played their first action. We've got another group that's getting ready to play their first action next year too. So it's, it, this is such a valuable time for them on their own as a group or us together in the springtime to go over that film. And it's just maturity happens when they watch that over and over. And then I realized that they didn't really call you when they're making this decision, but when the big 10 added USC and UCLA, what was your first reaction? My first reaction was honestly uh, no reaction. I, I, I'm pretty obsessed about the job we have to do here. Uh, and the best way I can help Iowa football uh, graduate our kids and win football games is stay obsessed with my room and keep <laughs> my eyes focused, not to dodge the question. You know, mm -hmm. if I had a concern, if you said, hey, you have to give me something, my concern would be just the kids, you know, travel and organ organizing everything. And where's this thing going? But, you know, I'm, I'll... I'll wait till they ask me. <laughs> I suppose you wouldn't mind though a trip to LA in November as opposed to like break up the trips to places like Minneapolis in November. Yeah, I'm good. I'll, I'm I'm a Midwest guy, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. The cold doesn't bother me. It's kind of football <laughs> weather, but so yeah, it's I'm good. And then switching to a more personal note. When, so it was your freshman year of high school, right? When your father passed away? Yes, yeah, it was. How much did that tragedy shape who you are today? Uh, oof, shaped everything. Uh, it's exactly why I am the way I am today, whether I'm a, as a father, as a husband, uh, as a coach. Um, you know, going through those moments as a 14-year-old kid, when you hear your dad has cancer and you know, a little over two months later, he's gone. Um, there's, there's all sorts of emotions that build up and uh, wonderment and anger and, and all those things. And, um, but you're also grateful for the time that you had with that person, just like everyone else that goes through these things at a young age or older age. And then what really clicked for me was um, during that time was just how much coaches gave to me when they didn't have to. You know, the, the, the watching people do something that they don't have to do for others is pretty powerful. And I felt that at 14 years old. And, and when I when I mean do something, I, I don't mean they coddled me. Uh, they did the exact opposite. They pushed me. They they put they set the bar higher for me. They kept driving me. This is my my high school basketball coach, Jeff Butler, my high school. Uh, and he's, he's also my track coach, my high school coach, Stan Winky. Um, just go with, and go with my college coach, Carl Pelker, and 
my offensive line coach, Tom Jensen, the offense coordinator, Gerald Temples, like all those guys did such a tremendous job. And they, I don't even know if they knew it. They were just, they were coaching why they want to cut. They were, they were doing their job exactly why they got into it to, to take care of kids and help kids develop. And my coaches saw me at a young age struggling and they did everything they could to keep me moving forward. And fast forward into college, that's why I switched my major and went to education. I want to be a coach. Like, why wouldn't I do, why wouldn't I do for others, you know, just a percentage of what those, those guys did for me. And um, that's why my first job out of college was as a high school teacher and coach and loved every second of it. I mean, every second of it. And, uh, but yeah, it it certainly shaped what I want to do uh, as a career. And I think it also shapes how I live now, you know, very few times am I, am I going to take advantage of time with my family? You know, my, my kid has two baseball games the other day. There's a four hour window in between. And there's a lot of things that a parent could do in that four hour window. My, my kid wanted to stay there. I sat there and watched him and I just soaked it up because that's time with, and he, he was with his buddies, but I, I was going to be there, you know, one of those deals. Um, so that, that part, and then as a coach, you know, I think, I think this coaching business, you know, just like any other job, I think you get into something for a specific reason. And I think sometime down the middle of your path, sometimes we veer off the rails a little bit and we lose why we got into it. So those things happened to me at a young age and, and choosing the profession why I did, I always remind myself why I got into the profession. So it is about taking care of the kids. It is making sure that, you know, you build the person up before the player. Um, it is uh, just the love of being around a coaching staff and, and being in this profession because uh, the profession is changing and I'm, and I don't want it to change. I want to stay, I want to be a coach. And um, so, yeah, th- th- those days at 14 years old, 100% uh, guide me today. How much harder would it have been as you're 14 and not really, you know, most 14 year olds are thinking about who they're going to ask to homecoming, that kind of thing to have that, how much more difficult would that have been without those coaches as you were going through that? Oh, it would have been impossible. It would have been impossible. I, I would have been uh, just, I would use a chip on my shoulder the wrong way. Um, I would have felt sorry for myself. And they, they did the exact opposite. I remember, I remember uh, my basketball coach making sure I was going to be at practice the Monday after. And I, I'll never forget that. And I have such respect for him to do that. And he wasn't, he just knew what I needed, even though I didn't know what I needed. I wanted to crawl up in a ball and he said, I need to be with a team and I'll never forget that. And I, and I owe him the rest of my life. Wow. That'd be quite the practice then that Monday. <laughs> yeah. Back at it. <laughs> and then as you've gone through with coaching, I'm assuming you're still in touch with some of those coaches. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. To me, it, as you get up in age a little bit, I've been doing this for, I don't know, 22, 23 years. Um, you really start to um, not look back necessarily, but you pump the brakes a little bit. I think in, about three years ago, it was the first time I kind of like took a deep breath and just said, okay, how, how the heck did I get here? And, and who, who helped me? And then you really start to appreciate your mentors. Then you get at that age where you have ex-players that are doing cool things. Uh, you know, as a professional, as a father, husband, and things like that. And it's just like, it really, 
uh, it justifies why you why you're doing what you're doing. But yeah, mentors and players. Without those two things, I'm not sure what this profession has uh, more powerful than those two things. I, I never want to let go of that. My, matter of fact, I had lunch last week with my college coach. Spent the day with him uh, over in Williamsburg. Uh, awesome. Um, spring break, I went and spent with my first boss. He was my college offense coordinator, and he was my first boss as a high school head coach. Took the family. That's where I spent spring break at, Coach Temples. Um, I'm going to go see my high school coach uh, with my son later on this month. So, yeah, any time I have, um, it's it's going to be served to the people that served me, you know, that gave to me and spend good time with good people. And then how much does it mean to be able to now pay it forward as a coach yourself? Uh, it means everything. Yeah. It just, you know, I, you get at this age and you have friends that are doing jobs that, you know, they may not like, or they're, you know, they're happy, they're happy on Friday and they're, they're, they're not happy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're kind of happy Friday, they're, they're rolling and where I'm pretty happy Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday. Um, so yeah, it, it means everything. And it, and it, and it, it, it leaks over to your family. Right. So, and then it's now the challenge is who you work for, who you work for, who you work with, especially in a changing profession right now. Uh, that's vital. That's vital. And then that's a great segue to my next question about 2021. You get the call about the Iowa offensive line position. What was that like considering that Iowa has a reputation for offensive linemen? Well, I think as you go through the profession, I never, I've never gotten into climbing a ladder. Those are never my goals. I, I was going to be a high school coach the rest of my life. I GA just because my mentor uh, had a GA spot open and I wasn't going to GA for anybody else. My plan was to go GA for him. And I was going to go back to Mattoon high school and be the best damn line coach they've ever had. You know, that's, that's the way, I, you know, I'm a small town dude. That's the way I thought. And, and I was good with it. So I think, you know, but as you get going and you got into college a little bit and been happy everywhere I've been, I've been at really good places, really good people, but in the back of your mind, you do always have spots like, hey, that'd be cool to work there. Like that, that that's a fit. You, you always figure out places where there might be a fit because my fear in this profession, and, and mostly it's the way I'm wired. I've always thought I'd have to sell my soul or change who I was to coach at this level, to be quite honest with you. And I don't mean that in a, a horrific way or a bad way. I just, I don't want to change why I got in this business because it's working out pretty well for my players. and. Um, Iowa was only always a spot that you had in the back of your mind where, well, I bet that place is a really good fit for me. And then, so when the, when the job came open, my mentor, who's, who is, um, as an acquaintance and, and friend of coach Ferentz, he contacted me and asked me if I would have interest. And I'm not sure why I needed to answer, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did have interest. And, um, so I knew going into the interview that this could you know I was, I was excited because i wanted to i wanted to see if santa claus was really santa claus i wanted to see if they this job's really that good and, the, and this head coach is really that special and this place is really that special and it, it was more it was more um and that was just during the interview i called my wife i said i don't i don't know what's going to happen with this interview i just i know this uh i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy the hell out of the next 48 hours and I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask coach Ferentz more questions than he can ask me. 
um, <laughs> just because I because it's it's rare to be around programs and people more more importantly people uh, that have um, that outlook on life in this profession. So interview, get off the job, take the job, and it's been unbelievable ever since. And I think, you know, I think the challenge of this profession is working for the right man um, to be for me to be able to stay on the same track that I wanted to when I got into this profession and what a fit this is. And, uh, and Iowa City is a special place. Uh, University of Iowa, the campus is beautiful. It's a really good place. I learned a long time ago that people make the place. And my family know exactly who I work for. When I come home, even on the toughest day, they know I work for the best. I work for Kirk Ferentz. And that's, that's a fact. And, and that's, how important, that's how important people are to me in this business. And uh, because it, it's, you know, everything starts at the top. The bar's set so high. You know, I've said this before. I knew when I took this job, I was going to become a better coach. That's easy. He's one of the best offensive line coaches that's ever walked the face of the earth. And his program is unbelievable. And the guys I work with are tremendous. So I'm going to be a better coach. What I didn't realize is how important this was going to be to me as a person. And it was going to make me a better husband. It was going to be a make, make me a better father. Um, so those three things, and it's that's because of the guy at the top of this organization. That's because of Kirk Ferentz. That's not because of a monument somewhere or a building somewhere or a fancy this somewhere. People make a place, and and this has been such a tremendous fit for me that you know I'm just very grateful for it. Was there kind of this disbelief at all when it's like, wow, this is as you're saying better than Santa Claus? Um. I don't think disbelief because I've never really, you know, I don't have, um, I don't have a lack of confidence and in, in, in ability and things like that. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, but there, there has been moments where it's just, just, just feeling being grateful, you know, especially when we talked about pumping the brakes a little bit, looking back a little bit, and, you know, it's not really about the level. It's really not about big 10 or whatever. It's really not for me. Uh, but the, to be able to say I work for Coach Ferentz and I work with the guys I work with in this building, this staff is high, high quality coaches, high quality people and their families. And it's just, you know, that's and then you then you sit with our kids and you talk to our kids and you meet the players and then you're like, you're kidding me. Like, that's what's special. That's what that's those pinching moments that you're just really thankful and really grateful and it makes you want to work harder for these people. And then how has um, being here made you a better father and husband? Uh, just the, the example our head coach sets. Um, I, I think in the world of college football today, in the, in the coaching profession, it's becoming, I don't want to say different, but there, you know, there's some, there's a lot of salesmanship and there's a lot of, oh man, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And um I, I, you know, I, I really value how it's done here. Like I, I feel good at the end of the day, calling myself a coach. And I think there's some places where, like I said earlier, you feel like you have to change because of it's, it's, you know, every second's a make or break chase a recruit or chase this, or, you know what I mean? It's, or, it's just different. It's just different. It's really, really gratifying to be a part of, and it's really special. 
And then when you got here in 2021, what was it like seeing this really good center named Tyler Linderbaum in your room? <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Um, <laughs> like, I hope this kid's a freshman. No, um, <laughs> no, he's, he's different. He, he's so different on many levels. He's such a special kid. Uh, let, let's just say as a person first, um, he, he gives more than he takes. Um, he just, he's one of the hardest workers you're ever going to be around. Um, you're not replacing him. You're not doing, you're, you're not replacing him with another him. It's not happening. You can, you hope like, heck, there's some kids that strive to be like him and pick up some. And we talked about that last year with these young kids, like, like, dude, you better be watching this kid and, and watch him, how he handles his business and things like that. But yeah, it's, you know, he gave, he gave way more to me than I gave to him. And I say that full confidence. He, he's a special kid and, and he's, he was such a great teammate. So humble, deserves everything coming his way, everything coming his way. And I, I'm, I'm so excited for him and his family and his future family. And cause he, he just does things the right way. He's a hard worker. He doesn't skip steps. Um, man, he, he's a, he's a good one. And then, okay. So now you get on the field. He's really good. He's a really, <laughs> really good player. He's special. He, he just plays with a, a tenacity and a, a leverage and, and things like that, that it's hard to find, you know, he, he's rare. So I guess he'll be DVRing a few Ravens games this year. Yeah. My son, my son uh, keeps tabs on him every day. So he's, he's already, ordered, he's <laughs> waiting for the Jersey to come out. So he's, yeah, he's, we're going to be all over. It. <laughs> How many Linderbaum jerseys will there be in the Barnett house? Um, well, price is probably gonna be pretty high <laughs> so I, my my guess is if I, my guess is for sure my son will have one all right because if i get one he'll just take it so then he'll have two so we'll probably just buy one <laughs> and then if you could in a perfect world have any attributes of an offensive lineman that you're recruiting mm -hmm. what would be your perfect iowa offensive lineman recruit I, I think you start with, let's start with the physical traits. You know, you like athletic ability with the feet, just the way we, we block people. We're, we're, we do things um, a little bit different than some, and it really uh, accentuates the athletic kid with, with great feet. Um, you like a frame, you know, and a prerequisite talent uh, to be able to play the game for sure. Um, after that, it shifts over to the makeup of the person. And it's probably, honestly, just as, if not more important than the, the frame and, and, and those things, you know, who is this kid? You know, how, how, what makes him tick? Does anything make him tick? Is he passionate about something? You know, does he love football or does he at least love to compete? These, we're talking about big, young offensive linemen now, and it's tough. It's hard. It's, it's not seven on seven and they're not playing, you're not catching routes and running on air. Everything we do is going to be hard and strenuous so they they're going to have to have a pep in their step they're going to they're going to have to have a little look in their eye and a little twitch to them um so you're looking for all those things um you know how grateful are they for where they've where they've been can they tell you who taught them how to be good can, they, can you tell them or do are they appreciative of their high school coaches because this is so difficult that these kids have to have some of those like innate born um, just values and toughness and you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's because if you get those kids that are like that, you know, confidence is another one, you know, 
how, you know, how do you measure it? Are they multi-sport kid? You'd love to have a kid that's multi-sport and has been in the spotlight in different arenas. You know, that breeds confidence. Uh, you don't want to recruit the kid that's worried too much about the depth chart or worried about this or worried about that. You want the guy that's very confident in himself, like, hey, they're going to come in here and do what they got to do and have belief in themselves. They're assured in themselves. And so all those little things that you're always looking for, and it's everything's sliding scale, right? So not everybody's going to check every single box, but some may check, you know, these three boxes. And so this fourth box is at least got to be up here, may not be higher than the other three, but um, so it's all those, all those attributes. But I think, I think everybody probably would guess that it's all about the physical, but boy, how, how you are as a person means, means a lot. You know, are, are you, are you used to, are you used to winning? You know, what are you used to doing when it gets tough? What are, what are you used to doing near the end of the season? Are you packing your stuff in and kind of, you know, get negative or are you used to winning? So, you know, Hey, we're just getting started here. We're going to play our best football the last four or five weeks of the season. Cause that this position, that's at the end of the day, that's what all good offensive lines do. They play their best at the end of the season. And then you were mentioning multi-sport Iowa. I don't know. I don't think anyone keeps this stat, but there are probably more wrestlers in, from high school in the Iowa offensive line room than probably most other schools how has that football wrestling balance helped Iowa offensive linemen? Oh, I think, I think everywhere from leverage to the ability to use hands and strength the right way with their hips in a certain position, a little bit lower than others. Um, that sport just teaches you leverage in such a different manner than other sports. Um, Cause if you don't do it right, you're, you're going to be on the bad end of it in a hurry. Um, and then I think just the, the competitiveness, you know, the ability to go on a mat one-on-one spotlights on you and everyone's got their eyes on you and how are you going to do it? And you're going to fail and how are you going to respond to that? And then you're going to come back and win and how, you know, how did you do that? Like, so that those attributes are just so valuable and, and you know, most of most wrestlers have a calmness to them, but, a, but, a, but a intensity to them, you know, some people, some people think intensity is volume some of the best intense guys we've had were on the mat and there wasn't a lot of volume. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was awesome. I appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode. I will be back next week. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.